starting here in Matthew 28 in a passage often called the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus commissioned his disciples. He is He has had his earthly ministry. He has died on the cross, risen from the dead. His disciples have come to him, and now he's sending them out. And that's where we want to begin this series on mission this morning. It's one of the key moments in the whole Bible for understanding this question. So please follow along with me in the Bible in front of you as I read from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16, and it should be on the screen behind me as well. All right, this is God's word. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Lord, we treasure, we treasure the promise that you are with us always to the end of the age. You are with us when we sleep, and you're with us when we wake, and you're with us when we work, and you're with us in our parenting and you're with us in our marriage and you're with us in all of our relationships everything we do you're with us you're with us by your spirit and we're grateful and we thank you that you you are especially with us when your people gather where where two or three are gathered in your name you especially gather when you're with us when we gather around your word and so we ask that you would by your spirit that you would be present with us in power and that you would help us to hear from you what you want to say to our hearts through your word. We pray that you would say it and that you would give us grace to hear it, to receive it, and to live it to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't, I don't know whether other parents will find this to be true, but in our family, we found that for our kids, bad dreams tend to come in streaks. So our kids will have a long, kind of a long stretch where they, they sleep great through the night, maybe the occasional bathroom break, and then, and then we hit a streak where it's like every night somebody's having a nightmare. Waking up, calling for us, we're coming in there, laying down in their bed, their mattress is not as comfortable as ours, it ruins the night. And so uh, we had one of these streaks about a week ago. We had a streak of bad dreams. And on one of these nights when my older son had called me in and I was lying in his bed with him, he asked me, Daddy, do you have, do you have bad dreams too? And I said, sure, buddy, Every, everybody has bad dreams. He said, well, are your bad dreams like my bad dreams? Do you have bad dreams about monsters? And I said, well, no, buddy, my, my bad dreams are usually like I, I, I'm back in university and I'm late for an exam in a room I don't know how to locate for a class that I've somehow missed every lecture for. And, and he, he's five years old. That, yeah, he, that doesn't sound scary to him, but you, you, all, you all know how terrifying that would be. I, from, just from your laughing, I know you've had that dream. And if you, if you haven't had that dream, you've had a dream like it, some dream in which you, you realize suddenly that you're about to be held accountable for something, that you're responsible for something that you, you somehow never accomplished or prepared for. Maybe you have to lead a discussion in your English class on a book that you just somehow never read, or you, you have to appear in court to argue a case that you completely forgot to review, or you have to go over with a client an audit that you somehow forgot to conduct entirely, right? You're on the spot and you realize that you have not prepared the way you should. 
And, and one of the reasons why this passage is in your Bible is so that nobody ever has to realize too late that they've failed to pursue the purpose for which God created and rescued them. Your life has a purpose. You have a role to play in a great story, and you do not want to come to the end of your life and realize that you missed it, right? You don't want to wake up from that, from that dream. And so this, this is an incredibly rich passage. It's hugely important in Christian history. But this morning, I want us to just think about three aspects of this passage. And you should have an outline in the back of your bulletin. What it says about the heart of God, what it says about the purpose of Jesus, and what it says about, or the power of Jesus, and what it says about the purpose of our lives. So first, what it says about the heart of God. His compassion is global. So Jesus tells his disciples in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he tells them that their ambition should, see, should be to see people from every nation on earth, not just every country, right? The United States did not exist, came, came in Oz did not exist then, but every nation, every people group in the world, their ambition should be to see people from every people group on earth baptized, brought in to the church community, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what is baptism? Baptism is a picture of new identity, right? Someone goes down into the water, and it's a picture of them dying to their old life, to the life that was governed by sin, the life where they didn't know God, and when they come out of the water, they're, they're washed clean, right? It's a picture of a new beginning, a new life. And so what, what is the new beginning that baptism is a picture of? It's a new beginning. Jesus says they're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This new beginning is they take on God's name. They, they become part of God's family, now, this passage, it doesn't stand on its own. It's a turning point in a much larger story that's as old as time, right? So in the beginning, humanity was called by God's name. We were created in his image, created to share his love and his joy, to share in his work. We were called by his name, and we rejected his name. We said that we didn't want to be who he said we were created to be. We wanted to make our own identity. We wanted to be who we wanted to be. We wanted to go our own way. We decided to seek our happiness, not in God, but on our own terms, right? And as soon as we, we severed ourselves from God, and as soon as we were, we were like cut flowers, right? As soon as a flower is cut from the root, it starts to die, right? And that was us. We cut ourselves off from God, and as soon as we did, we began to die. And not just individual people, not just, I mean, every human dies, but human society started to decay and deteriorate. So, Instead of the world being filled with these vibrant nations where God is worshipped and people are loved and justice is done, now the world is filled with nations where, where justice is not done, where people are oppressed because of the color of their skin or because of their gender or because of how much money their parents had when they were born. And, and so the world is... It's, it's broken. These wars erupt between nations, right? Every human life ends in death. The world is broken because we've rejected God's name. But of course, none of this caught God off guard, right? Before he made the world, he already had a plan to reconcile the nations to himself, to bring them back in, to give them his name again. And this, begins, this becomes a steadily building refrain through the whole Old Testament. So uh, God says to Abraham, this is God's promise to Abraham, he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth 
will be blessed. God was going to bless all the families of the earth, all the nations, through Abraham's family. We hear it in the Psalms, right? The psalmist prays, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way, your way, God, may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the psalmist longs for every nation on earth, for people in every nation to know God's salvation and to praise him. The prophets anticipate a day when the nations are going to stream to Jerusalem because they want to know God. They want to hear from him. They want to learn from him. They want to belong to him. But the question is always when. When is God going to bring the nations back to himself? And then a baby is born, and he's called the king of the Jews. But who comes to worship him at the beginning? It's wise men from the east, from the nations. And he grows up not in Jerusalem, not in the heart of Judaism, but in Galilee of the Gentiles. And he, in his ministry, he doesn't just stick to his own people. He, he sits down at a well with a Samaritan woman, doesn't he? He comes to the house of a Roman official to heal his servant. The, there comes a day, there comes a day in Jesus' ministry when some Greeks come seeking him. They come to Jerusalem, they're looking for Jesus, and Jesus sees in that a sign that his time has come. The nations are coming to him, and this is what he says. He says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When I'm lifted up, when I go to the cross, all the nations are going to come. He goes to the cross to bring the nations home, right? For God so loved the world. So Jesus has come to live and die and rise so that all the nations will know him. He sends his disciples to make disciples of all the nations, of all of them. The story of history is the story of God reconciling the world to himself. His compassion is global, His love is so great that he gave his son's life so anyone could be saved through faith. And the question for us is, do you share his heart? There are billions of people, billions with a B, who have in their their people group, in their nation, no indigenous Christian witness, which means they will never hear about Jesus from someone who shares their language and their culture. They will only hear about Jesus if someone comes from the outside and tells them, which is why Jesus says, go. And is is there nothing in your heart that when you hear that, you say, I want to go. I I wish that God would send me. I want to go. And some of us should, and we'll talk about that another week in this series. But it would be a mistake to think that making disciples only happens over there, right? Because if God's love and compassion extend to the nations, then it extends to our coworkers and our neighbors, right? We are the nations. Some of us will go, and some of us will stay, but we can all make disciples where we are. But we won't until we share God's heart of global compassion. The people we work with, our neighbors, our, our family members, our coworkers, these, these people, they were made by God. And they were made to know God. Their hearts and their lives won't work properly until they come home to him until they're called by his name, and Jesus extends to them an invitation to come home. He extends to them the cure for death, and he extends it to them through us, through his people. So in our passage last Sunday, Jesus, I don't know if you, if you were here, you remember this, Jesus told us, he said, enter through the narrow gate. He said, the way to life is through turning from sin and trusting in me. Does it, does it break your heart that people you work with 
in Cayman, they don't know about the narrow gate. How can they enter it if no one tells them? So we can't live out the purpose, our purpose in the world, until we share God's heart of compassion for those who are estranged from him and see ourselves as part of the story of God bringing them back in. And the second thing we need to see is the power of Jesus, that his mission is unstoppable. Now, before Jesus, before he gives them this commission, look back up one verse in verse 18, he gives them this foundation for it. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Right? So the reason they can go make disciples of all nations is that Jesus has all authority. So Kim and I, we like to watch this show, Madam Secretary. Okay? Like we're, we're stereotypical Americans. We like American television. Shows about America, and it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. So we watch Madam Secretary, and Madam Secretary, it's about a fictional United States Secretary of State. Right? Foreign, foreign secretary, foreign minister. And it's a show about diplomacy. So, you know, the, a crisis erupts, there's a trade deal that needs to work out, and the secretary needs to work with ambassadors and foreign ministers from other countries to, to get this thing resolved. So what's an ambassador? An ambassador is sent by the head of a state and empowered to speak for him or her, right? But they can only succeed in their mission if they know that the head of state stands behind them, that whatever they agree to will be, will be bound by the country, that they actually have the power to accomplish the mission that they've been sent for. They need to know that the king backs them up. And Jesus is saying, I'm the king of everything, and I'm standing behind this mission. He doesn't say, I have great authority. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on the earth. That's what stands behind us. So he's, he sent us to speak for him, to say to people, there is a king in heaven to whom you owe your lives, and you have rebelled against him, but he offers you pardon, and he will welcome you back into his kingdom if you trust in him. He sent us to the nations with that message, and he wants us to know that nothing can stop him from accomplishing that work. When we go... The king of the universe goes with us, and he has all authority. So Jesus doesn't say, there's this thing I really want to see happen, but I can't do this without your help, right? Jesus never says that. He says, there's this thing I'm going to do, and I want you to come with me. I want you to be a part of it. Making disciples isn't something we do for Jesus. It's something we do with Jesus, knowing that he's greater than every obstacle that we encounter. And we need that. Because this thing he's called us to is way too big for us. Way too big. I just think about how this landed on these 11 disciples, right? These 11 disciples, they followed Jesus for three years, you know, proclaiming their love for him and their loyalty to him. And then on the night he's arrested, what do they do? They just disappear, right? They just scatter to save their own skins. Jesus goes to the cross alone. Peter denies even knowing him, right? And then and then after Jesus is crucified, where do they go? They go to this upper room. They lock themselves in, lest anyone identify them as a follower of Jesus. And then Jesus comes to them and says, yeah, you guys, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. And they're like, come again? Right? Like, you know our history. There's only 11 of us. We are not that great. You know, we, we can fish, but like... And he says, no, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. That would have landed on them hard. It was too much for them, and it's too much for us as well, right? On our own, we're not courageous enough for this. It's hard 
to turn a conversation to Jesus and know that before you get to the good news about grace, you're going to have to talk about the hard news of sin and judgment. That, and even if we have the courage to speak up, we can't make anyone believe, right? Only God can do that. And even if they trust him, Jesus says that part of this commission is teaching them to obey all that he commanded. And we can't make people do that. We don't have the power to get someone to obey everything that God commanded. This would be hopeless except for the fact that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on the earth. So no earthly opposition can stop this from happening and no spiritual opposition can stop this from happening. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, he says, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations And then the end will come. It will be proclaimed. God is going to get it done. So making disciples, it doesn't require great self-confidence. You do not have to be a salesman to do this. It requires great confidence in Jesus. That he's with you and that there's nothing he asks of you that he can't accomplish through you. We've been, so, so we've been laying foundations, right? A foundation of this work is having God's heart of compassion. A foundation of this work is having confidence in Jesus. But what is this work? What, what is he talking about when he says, make disciples? That's the third thing we need to see. The purpose of our lives. Disciples make disciples. So making disciples is not just for pastors. It is not just for church staff. It is not just for elders. It's not just for missionaries. Disciples... Make disciples. Saved people are sent people. So Jesus spent three years pouring into these 11 men. And now he tells them, what I have done for you, I want you to do for others. And and the scope of this commission makes clear that Jesus wasn't just giving this task to these 11 guys and just when they died, it was over. Like that's not, we don't have to go to the nations. That's not, it's clear that that's not what he's saying because he says, they're to make disciples of all the nations. And he, he expected that to take a long time, right? That wasn't just for them. It was for, for all of us. He says in verse 20, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He didn't expect these 11 guys to live to the end of the age. He expected them to make disciples who made disciples for this work to continue through the church until he comes, right? Maybe most obviously Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples who observe all that he's commanded them, right? And he, they can't observe all that he's commanded them unless they also observe this. This is one of his commands, go and make disciples. So if Jesus, so every disciple is a disciple maker, right? Everyone who is a disciple is making disciples. Do you guys see that? I'm not asking if you like it. I'm just saying, can you see, can you see that in what I'm pointing to? So if we're going to make disciples, we need to know what we're aiming at and how to get there. So if, if, if Jesus is calling us to make disciples, what is a disciple? And he, he defines it here in verses 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So disciples have been baptized. They have heard the good news about Jesus and they've responded to it. They've, they've, they've seen, they've understood that because of their sin, because they've walked away from God, that they are under his judgment, that they are, they're cut off from him. They're not on the way to eternal life. They're on the way to judgment. But Jesus, they see that Jesus has taken their judgment on the cross so that they can be forgiven, they can be brought in, and they've trusted him. They've received that gift. 
And they've publicly declared their new identity. They've publicly declared their trust in Jesus through being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, proclaiming that God's family is their family now. Now that's how a disciple begins, but that's not all a disciple is. Jesus says that a disciple has been taught to observe all that Jesus commanded. So disciples are learners. It's what disciple means, right? A disciple was someone who followed a teacher and learned from his teaching, learned from his life. A disciple, disciples are learners. They learn from Jesus. They read their Bibles and learn what's in it. They ask questions. They meet with other people to help them learn what they're missing. And they don't just learn to learn. They don't just learn so they can get a degree. They learn so they can obey. They're taught to observe what Jesus commands. They keep his commandments. They do what he says. Now, you can't make disciples unless you are a disciple. You can't replicate what you don't have. So are you a disciple? Have you put all your trust, all your hope for eternal life in Jesus? And if you have, have you proclaimed your new life through baptism? If you haven't been baptized, please talk to me after the service, and we, will, we would love to celebrate that with you. And are you growing in your knowledge of what the Bible teaches? Do you open your Bible every day or most days and listen to what God says? And when you read or when you listen to a sermon, are you just learning to learn or are you always thinking, how does this apply to me? How does this promise help me trust God more? How does this command help me please Jesus more? And if you're doing that, if you're growing as a disciple, then part of being a disciple is making disciples. It's helping other people experience what you've experienced. So I want you, I want you to use your imagination right now. I want you to imagine a number line. Do you guys remember number lines from maths class? Do you remember this? Like, I took a lot of math, so this is fun for me. So I want, I want you to imagine a line about five feet off the ground here, okay, from negative 10, zero to 10. Can you imagine that with little increments at every, at every number? So this number line describes where everybody is in relation to God, okay? Negative 10 is like as far away from God as you could be. Heart, just hard to God, no interest. Zero is conversion. Zero is where you, you see your need for Jesus, you trust in him, you're born again, you get a new heart, and you begin your life in him. And 10 is like the most mature Christian you've ever known, okay? Does this... Conceptually, are you tracking with me? Everyone you know is on this line. And part of being a disciple, part of making disciples, is helping the people in your life move along the line. Okay? So it's not about taking someone from negative 10 to 10, but it's about making, maybe helping someone get from negative 7 to negative 5, or from negative 1 to 2, or from you know, four to five. Does that make sense? You're just helping people move along. So, so maybe, so if, if someone you know is not a believer, you're just trying to help them become more open to the gospel, right? So maybe it's your neighbor, and maybe the way that you move them along is maybe they've had terrible experiences with Christians, and you're the first Christian they know that greets them, that asks them how they're doing, and that helps them when they're struggling with their groceries, or they can't close their door, or whatever it is. You just, you're as helpful as you can so that they can see that Christians love them and can be trusted, right? Or maybe it's a coworker, and, and they begin to open up to you about something hard going on in their life, and instead of just being like, I, I really got to, you sit and you listen, and you tell them, I'm going to pray for you, 
And then a couple days later, you circle back and say, I've been praying for you. How's that going? And you're just, you're just helping them see that Christianity makes a difference in someone's life. Or, you know, maybe someone's really interested in Christianity, and so you offer, I'll pick you up for church. And then after church, you go to lunch, and you just ask them, well, what did you think about that? And you start walking them through the good news about Jesus, right? It's just, it's just helping people along the line. Once, once someone trusts in Jesus, then it's helping them grow, right? So, so maybe... Maybe it's, uh, there's someone in your small group, and they're really intimidated by the Bible. You can just tell it's new to them. They feel embarrassed. And you just offer, why don't we meet? Why don't we get coffee once a week? And we can just open the Bible together and just get used to what's here and how we respond to this. Maybe you're a small group leader, and you see, you see potential in someone. And so you mentor them, you co-lead with them, and just help them move along, right? Is this making sense? It's not, you don't have to save anybody. You just, you have to let God use you, move them along the line, When you understand that disciples make disciples, that every disciple is a disciple maker, you just begin to feel responsible for the people around you. Instead of thinking, boy, someone should tell him about Jesus, or really someone should pull her aside and and give her some encouragement, you begin to think, well, I'm someone. I'm someone. I have the Spirit of God. Maybe God has put me in their lives because I'm the one he wants to use. So the goal of mission is to make maturing disciples who make maturing disciples, who make maturing disciples and on until the end of the world. So when we say, and if you've been to a newcomer's lunch, you've been around Sunrise for a while, you know this, our our mission as a church is to introduce people to Jesus and help them grow by his grace. This is what we're talking about. We want to make disciples of Jesus. And if we're going to do that in a way that transforms the Cayman Islands, we need all hands on deck. Do you see this as your responsibility? You don't have to nod or shake your head. Just in your own heart, be honest with yourself. Do you have someone in your life whose friendship you're intentionally pursuing because you love them and want them to know Jesus? Do you have someone in your life whose friendship you're intentionally pursuing because you want to help them grow towards maturity? And if not, why not? Maybe maybe you feel like you're so new to this yourself, you don't have anything to teach someone else. And I, I get that. But if you know, if you know the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and we can be brought back to God through trusting in him, then you do have something to teach. And it's, it's great for you to just even get this understanding at the beginning of your Christian life so you know that whenever you're learning, when you're learning from a sermon, when you're learning from the word, when you're learning from a book, you're always learning for two, for yourself and for the person who along the line you're going to teach. Or maybe you're not engaged in this because you feel too busy, right? And if if you're too busy to make disciples, then you are too busy. But also remember that this, this isn't an activity you do as like a part of your life. It's something you do in all of life. Like even, even busy people eat lunch, right? And so why not one day a week use your lunch hour and over lunch read the Bible with somebody? Even busy people probably go to the gym. I accept myself, but I have children. But you guys, some of you don't have children, you go to the gym. Even busy people go to the gym, right? So are you using gym time to build intentional friendships and to help people see the difference that Jesus makes in your life? You're going to read your kids' bedtime stories anyway, so how can you use that time more intentionally to help your kids come to know the love of Jesus? Or maybe this just feels entirely beyond you. Like, about three minutes in, you just mentally file the sermon under, he can't be serious, and you're, like, you're already thinking about something else. Do you really think that God can't use you? Like, did Jesus say, all authority and on heaven and earth has been given to me, except for this guy I can't do anything with? 
right? That's, that's not what he said. He, look at verse 17. This is so encouraging to me. And when they saw him, these are the disciples, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. So they were standing there with Jesus in the flesh, risen from the dead, and some doubted. Now, that doesn't mean they disbelieved. It didn't mean they were saying, like, this isn't real. I'm just going to wake up from this dream. The word means they hesitated. Okay, so maybe you remember the story about Peter, where um, Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter says, if it's you, call me out to you. And Peter comes walking out to Jesus on the water. But then he he sees the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. And he says, Lord, help me. And, and Jesus grabs his arm and says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So it wasn't that Peter had no faith, but his, he hesitated in faith, right? He believed Jesus enough to come out of the boat. But then what was going on seemed like too much for him. And that's when he began to doubt. That's when he began to seek. And that's what's happening here. It, it's, it's not no faith. It's just imperfect faith, faith that hesitates. It's, it's like the man who cried out to Jesus, I believe Help my unbelief. So these disciples, they worshipped. Some doubted. And Jesus gave the great commission to them anyway. This isn't, this isn't just for disciples who never fail, never hesitate, never doubt. It's for the disciples who know their only hope is for Jesus to do it through them. I mean, can you imagine any more encouraging parting words than what Jesus says at the end of verse 20? He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus wasn't giving them marching orders and then leaving them alone. He was going to ascend to his Father and then send the Holy Spirit to be with them all day, every day, wherever they go. And that's for us too. So when we think about Jesus coming from heaven in love, dying on the cross in our place, rising from the dead, triumphant over death. When we think about what he's done for us, we worship. But then when we think about our own limitations, our fears, our doubts, we waver, we hesitate. And that's why God has sent his spirit. The spirit can give courage where there's no courage. He can give you words when you don't have words. He can, he can give you wisdom when you're not sure what to do next. So the question is not, are you ready to make disciples, right? Because nobody is. Nobody is on their own. I'm not either. The question is, are you willing to offer yourself to Jesus so that he can use you like this? If you are, then a very simple place to start might be to pray, Father, fill me with your spirit and give me opportunities to help people move along the line. Give me opportunities to help people trust you and grow in you. And that's what I'd like us to to pray together now. So would you bow your heads? Lord, we, we do receive this as a heavy task, and we, we don't want to be flippant about this. Disciples observe what you command, and so we want to take this seriously. We want to obey this commission, and we know that we can only do it by the power of your Spirit. We know we can only do it with your help. On our own, we're scared, and we feel insecure, and we don't like to be embarrassed, and um, we have other things that feel more pressing. God, on our own, this would not get done, and yet you are going to accomplish this, and you're going to use us. And so we offer ourselves to you and say, Jesus, use me. Send your spirit and use me. I pray that you would just, even, even as we're singing, 
or as we're um, resting this afternoon, that you would bring to mind faces of people where you would like to use us, people that we can, we can call, we can befriend, people we can encourage, people to whom we can speak about Jesus. I pray that you would, that you would by your spirit, lead us into what it looks like for us as individuals to obey this great commission. And I pray that you would help us as a church and that we would not ever become complacent and just like worshiping together and just enjoy one another and forget that you have sent us out, that we would be a church always looking out for how we can help more people to enter your kingdom and take on your name and belong to you forever. And so please, Father, I pray that you would, that you would use us in Jesus' name. Amen.